When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The Buck Off Podcast with Lane Grant. Hosted by Christopher Rennie and joined by Jordan Williams. Paying the entire tee of this recording because I bet on Ohio State basketball. Go Bucks! Truly hate yourself. <laughs> yeah, truly it is. It's one, of, it's one of those things where I know, like, it, it's 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 the wrong thing to do, right? It's the wrong thing to do. But if it's right this time, it's going to feel really good. I mean, they got to win, right? <laughs> But this is the team. Much. This is the this is the team that they beat last time. So like, unless it's scripted, are they going to beat this team again? Yeah, right. Because uh, the same thing. That's what I, that was my whole thought process. With the only way they could lose to Northwestern is if Northwestern just splits the series. Because that's usually how it works in the Big Ten and college basketball. You win one, you lose the other one. If you play them twice, and then the rest of the season is decided by your one-off games in conference. Well. Ohio State's probably going to lose tonight. But Bryson's ball better score 20 points. So, Chris Holtman, don't hold back your young bucks. Let them shoot. Let them play basketball. If you keep caring this much about defense, which you've never been good at coaching, I will jump off. I'm still on the boat, and I still like him. He's a good guy. You know, maybe not the best basketball coach in the world. You know, I I don't think I, – because I think deep down personally – I'm, I'm, I love I love Ohio State basketball. You know, I'm a modern, but I don't live and die with it the same way I do with Ohio State football. So, you know, I like the guy. So I'm going to like him being the coach. We'll win again eventually. That's how it works in college basketball. Next year. You'll win next year. Yeah, that's how that's my mindset. And I could win tonight if they just play well. So uh, we got a loaded show today for you guys. Um before we get into all that stuff, we've got a huge schedule announcement coming from the athletic department. That news broke a couple of days ago. Uh, reactions to some of Ohio State's radar, under the radar. I don't know why I said radar, 
a lot of that the balloon stuff and the news radar stuff so no thinking about that i guess but reaction to ohio state's under the radar staff moves and then we're going to take a look at our projected depth chart for ohio state in the spring jordan put it together for me and him uh and anyone in our group who wants to use it and i'm i'm sure there probably won't be any debate but it's usually how all this show starts and then there's a little debate and then we come to agreements, kind of meet in the middle, and that's the buck off way. But before we get started, what have you been up to lately, Jordan? Anything fun this week? Or you got anything going on this weekend? Uh yeah, I'm going to I'm going to Maryland. Oh, sweet. Uh, a friend's graduation party. So I'm leaving tomorrow. I'm for some reason off on President's Day, so I'm not gonna complain about it. Um <laughs> So, yeah, while you all are listening to this, I will be driving seven hours to uh, Maryland. What do you got going on? It's a great drive, honestly. Right through Pennsylvania, right? Or is it you have to go Uh, down from Maryland? No, you go down. So you go you go Uh, past Morgantown and then you go from Morgantown. You just go straight uh, east. Oh, I got you. I was thinking of the drive to New Jersey, everyone's favorite. Um, but yeah, it'll be fun. It's always good to see friends. It's always good to see friends in like a celebratory situation. Oh yeah, for sure. Especially friends from out of state. You don't get to see them that often. And like, uh, I have a whole bunch of friends that live in Maryland. So like, you know, it's much easier for me to go there and be around all of them than to get any number of them to come here so yeah for sure cool yeah i i don't have anything like that going on i got a friend coming from town from out of town he's he he does a visit every once in a while when he gets these types of three-day weekends so uh, that'll be fun but i i think i'll spend most of my weekend exploring the wizarding world of harry potter via my playstation 5 hogwarts legacy i'm I'm in deep. It is an incredible experience. And if you grew up and read the books or enjoy anything Harry Potter, the game will be incredible to you. So (laughs) I didn't really grow up watching Harry Potter. I didn't at all. Um, I was uh, I didn't watch it until like last year, maybe the year before. Um, but I want to buy the game just because I heard you can do like almost anything. So, and people have been making a whole bunch of jokes. So, I'm definitely going to be oh. a menace. I'm I'm going to be a menace, and I'm going to go D one in Quidditch. Like that's the whole reason I want the game. I don't care about the storyline. Uh, Although I do have to say, from the pictures that I've seen, I don't know how long this game was in production, but this is by far the best engine I've ever seen for creating a player. Like the players that I've seen people make in that game is nuts. Like you can't do that in Madden or 2K. You definitely can't do it in FIFA. Uh, You can't do it in UFC. Like remember when 2K had the face skin? Um, That never worked for me. You could scan it on your phone and then it imported the game and it was just like the worst thing in the world. Yeah, it was always bad. That was awesome. But yeah, I know you're right. Oh, I, I took a picture of myself when I was a little bit younger because the character's a fifth year and I'm like, I'm not going to make him look like 
26-year-old me who looks like he's 35 sometimes with the tired eyes. But I will make him look like me when I did. Same hair. It was incredible. Like, I literally have the same hair in the game. It's it's one of my favorite things. I look at him, I'm like, that's my hair. <laughs> uh, and yeah, no. When you, you talk about being a when you talk about being a menace, uh, there's some spells you can use. Uh, unforgivable curses. And when I found out yeah. that they were actually in the game, I was yeah. shook. That's why I want the game. That, like that. That is the sole reason. Like I'm, I'm, I'm going to be a menace. I'm going to be the. Uh, I'm gonna make Voldemort look like a child. Yeah, you, you can do it too. That's that's the best and worst part. I don't know how to, I don't know how to feel about that because I got to use it. There's like this little arena in it, and I got to use it one time. I'm like, man, that's too much power. I don't know. I don't know if I can handle this power. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, it devious. might be dumb, but I, I like felt the darkness. It was crazy. Yeah, I'm devious. That I'm, I'm telling you, I'm gonna be devious, and I'm going D one in Quidditch. That's that's all I wanted for. Everything else is is whatever. Like I need the Ohio State offer. Uh, I need I need the uh, <laughs> I need the Bama offer. Um, yeah, I, I need to be top five in the class, number one at my position. That that's that's the that's the goal. That's that's why I'm buying the game whenever I can scrounge up seventy dollars because somehow games are seventy dollars now. Yeah, I spent uh I spent a little bit more than that because I wanted it early. But I'm okay with that. I was okay with the extra I think it was ten or twenty bucks, but we don't know. That's neither here nor there. Uh, yeah, I, I think if I really cared about Harry Potter, I might. But, like, I literally have only seen them all once. And, like I said, I watched them, like, last year the year before. Um, although that is going to be the first and only game that my fiance plays. Uh, she's yeah. been talking about, you know, learning how to play the game for a while, and it hasn't happened. So she'll probably play that one. She really she loves Harry Potter. You'll get there. Uh, I'll be after we get off the show here. I'll, I'll edit this. I'll get it uploaded. Then I'm putting on my Hufflepuff robe and I'm getting back to work. <laughs> uh, for a visual out there, I'm not yeah, wearing it right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but yeah. Let's get let's get into Ohio State football. That's what people are here for. Not really Ohio State football. I, I think. Um. Play the game though; it's fun. It's incredible. Uh, but Ohio State football. Uh, this one is this. This is it. Sucks. This sucks. This story sucks. But I think as we talk through it, it will suck less because kind of the situation surrounding it. So if you haven't heard by now, uh, the Ohio State Washington home and home is canceled. Uh, it was scheduled back in 2017. So first and foremost, in college football, with this ever changing landscape, let's. Let's add this to the mix. Uh, no more eight-year in advance scheduling. No eight-season, no ten-season in advance games getting put on the list. Unless it's like Nebraska and Missouri or like a historical rivalry that just doesn't get to play often and you know once it gets there, you're going to go through with it. Absolutely no more. Like five years is probably the max, and even that sometimes feels like a little too long. But that's the first thing. 
uh, Washington fans, let's start there. Uh, they're not taking this news well. And I think it goes back to one of our bigger conversations that we've been having on the show, and that's kind of the struggles of the conferences outside of the SEC and the Big Ten when it comes to TV contract negotiations. Um, this is an unfortunate aspect of the 12-team playoff. Like, Basically, you could probably point out any piece of the college football landscape and say, well, that probably had a part in why Gene Smith made the decision and like the people at Ohio State and the athletic department and the administration decided, yeah, it probably won't be best, you know, but I still think losing a game like this sucks. It sucks for the fans. You know, I think it sucks more for Washington fans. That would have been an incredible home environment for them. An incredible opponent going up to like Seattle or Olympia, I believe is where it's actually at. But that's what my least favorite part, because that's a game I probably would have tried to go to. Without a doubt. Like, Notre Dame this year is one that's on my list. And Washington would have been in 2025 when it was about to happen. Yeah, it's a it's a cool game. I'm not super – I don't really care about it that much because what we're going to get to shortly, it's going to be replaced with USC or UCLA, which is just the much better game. And yeah. I think, like, 2025 – no, 2024 doesn't matter, but it, I think they really canceled it because of 2025 because they have a home and home with Texas that starts in 2025. So essentially, in 2025, they would have had their you know regular nine-game Big Ten schedule, which would have included USC and or UCLA, if not both, because they're both going to play Ohio State at least once in their first two years. They, and then they obviously have, you know, whoever else they're going to get in that nine game, nine game schedule. And then they would have had out of conference games with Texas and Washington. And that's just unnecessary. Um, I think, you know, with things being a little different, maybe they would have kept it. I don't know how, you know, they ended up scheduling it like that. But you definitely want one Texas and then you want Kent State and you want Arkansas State. You don't want to be playing Texas and Washington. So I think uh, I think that's why they did it. Maybe some other reasons. Um, people, there have been rumors that it's like they're going to most likely have to play one of the West Coast teams out there, and so you don't want to make two West Coast trips. Um, some other things like that. So, I mean, I think it does suck in general because it's like a, it's always cool to play Washington in Oregon. Although we didn't have that much fun with Oregon recently. Um, yeah, but and we didn't get to go out there either. Yeah, which was weird. Why did that? Why did that? Did that get canceled because the pandemic? COVID, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it got rescheduled for like, I don't know, 2029, so it probably won't happen. Yeah, <laughs> 2029 is crazy. But nah, that was just a number, but it's out there. It's out in the future somewhere. Uh, but yeah, no, I totally agree with you. I think when you look at the 2025 schedule and you're, I think you're falling under the assumption now, like before, you know, lost that early in the season doesn't hurt you, but now you've got extra time and it probably hurts you a little less to lose if you're in Ohio State with the 12-team playoff. And I do think that a big part of why this decision was made was because the first thing you said, which was the addition of USC and UCLA, they're going to be heading out west anyways, potentially. Um, And the second part is the 12-team playoff. So you're going to add another – 
power five big time conference game for basically no purpose. And, you know, Ohio State already plays nine conference games. Oh, and the Big Ten and, you know, the Pac-12 does as well. So you're going to add a 10th and an 11th Power 5 level game in 2025? Like, that just seems like – and I know players are never going to back down from, like, competition. I know, like, Ohio State would be favored against both Texas and against Washington. But at the end of the day, it really does come down to, like, you can't put players through – 11 consecutive weeks of that high level of football. Yeah, um, it's funny. I was just listening to a podcast and I don't know if the dude was advocating for it or was just talking about it because it's the truth. But he basically went like 10 minutes about why it's even more important, quote unquote, to the SEC to have their FCS game. In the middle, like in November, when they go to nine conference games. So, like, where the Big Ten does their three conference games at first, or three in the first four weeks, because every once, every, every couple teams get that first week as against the Big Ten team. They were like, yeah, the SEC is going to go to nine. And a lot of people probably are thinking they're going to do what the Big Ten does and they're going to play them the three up front and then go through the nine game gauntlet. And he's like, yeah, that's not going away. So the SEC is going to play two non-conference games up front, go through that, and then still have that week game, you know, in November um, or whenever they typically have it. Um, so yeah, and like the Big Ten doesn't do that. So when you're doing it for competitive balance, it's not about being scared or anything like that, especially because with the playoffs, you can afford to lose a game and still make it in. Ohio State lost a game this year and made it in. It's just financially, the trip, the strain on players, the amount of games, uh, you know, I don't know if Ohio State necessarily cares about this, but there is some kind of unspoken agreement if it's not actually written between the Big Ten and the MAC. So all of these other kind of stuff, these other factors, and it's just like there's no reason to play Washington and Texas in the same year. There's just not. Get Make it to the playoffs, and then we'll play you then. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I, I mean, that's what I, I – I like to get in my little spouts and comment sections. I was like, you know, if Washington's so mad about this, they should just put Ohio State in the playoffs and beat them. And Washington fans didn't even believe that was a possibility. I'm like, well, that says all you need to know about the matchup then. Yeah. <laughs> like, and also, like, if we're being honest, half the reason that they were upset about it is because of, like, the gate and things like that. And it's like, if you're going to help a program make money, help a program in the Midwest. Like, we don't care about Washington that much. And I would and, – and for, like, you know, financial purposes or whatever – or like just coolness of the game, it's much better to play the SEC Texas, who, by the way, if I haven't already said this, is going to be dog shit in the SEC. I just want people to be prepared yeah. for that. Yeah. But we it's, just need uh, to keep repeating that until people just have it ingrained in our minds. This is an anti-Texas and Oklahoma in the SEC show. Not yeah. them going, but them being good there. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but um, it's much better to play the SEC Texas than it is to play the Pac-10 uh, Washington. And also, I don't know if this is interesting, and so I wanted to, like your opinion on it. Do you think like any of it had to do with like the um, – 
perception of the Pac-12 right now or the Pac-10. It's like, why would we? Why would we even do this? Like, yeah, I, I don't. No, I know a lot of people joked like, "Oh, looks like well, you can't play a non-conference Big Ten game if they're in the conference." You know, that was a big joke going around. But I, I don't think it's necessarily the perception of the Pac-12, but I do think. Um, I, I think it's the combination of the instability over in some of these other conferences and, you know, they don't have a TV deal yet. And I know that doesn't affect Ohio state, but like kind of does, if you think about it, like wonder what network are we going to be on? We're like, how are we going to sell this to our fans? How are we going to sell this trip to our fans? Um, and, you know, I'm not going to say, like, the Pac-12 North can't compete with Ohio State the last time Ohio State played someone in the Pac-12 North. They got their break speed off of them by Oregon. Um, so it's not really, I think, a perception thing. I really just think it comes down to the, the business side of things for Ohio State. They really – to break away from a series that wasn't really going to net them – anything in particular right it's not it's not ohio state texas it's not and anyone who thinks washington's at that same caliber of name as texas and then after texas you have georgia in the non-conference schedule and after georgia you have alabama in the non-conference schedule or something along those lines i can't remember the order it might be alabama first but either way you do still have both of them the names are bigger the names are I think there's less of a competitiveness between the Big Ten and the Pac-12 at this point. I think – and I I know, like, if a Pac-12 fan heard me saying this, Ohio State has surpassed them. The Big Ten has surpassed the conference on the field. 100% top to bottom, that's why you see the TV deals that you're seeing. Um, And, you know, trying to tie this all together, um, the Big Ten is out to prove – to the world that football is not just played in the South. And I think that is going to be part of the mission. And I do believe that, you know, with the ties to the Rose Bowl kind of going away, there's going to be less of an impactful relationship between the two. And I'll be honest, I don't think a lot of people like to work with George Glikov. So no, I think that's a big part of Did we talk about and, this last week? Uh, yeah, I, we both, I think, came to the agreement that he might be worse than Larry Scott. Yeah, <laughs> which is even being on the same level. Like, how do you do this two year, two commissioners in a row? Well, when you go and you get someone from the ATP, which is a, a good organization, their athletes make a lot of money playing tennis. Uh, and then you go to Vegas because everyone's getting into sports betting. But then you realize, oh, hey, running college football programs and athletic programs is nothing like running gambling uh, places like casinos. And I think that's really where it falls off. Uh, It also doesn't help that like, so going all full circle, like the big 10 now has those two West coast teams in USC, UCLA that we've been like kind of beating around. Everyone knows it, but it's really just like now you don't even really need to play the Pac-12 to get those marquee Western matchups. So it's like, what's the point, you know? Yeah, and it's just like um, – I, I think you said you think USC is going to be a permanent opponent with Ohio State or UCLA, one of the two. 
So I projected USC. So and this brings up the article that I wrote. If you haven't read it, you should check it out. A lot of people don't like it, and it's fine because people don't. I actually read the comments, and they actually weren't that bad. But the entire point of it was doing what I think the Big Ten is going to do, not what I want to do. And I think people need to understand that the Big Ten is most likely going to do one, two things. One, they're going to make the best map. Three things. They're going to keep the best rivalries and only the best rivalries. There's not going to be rivalry two, three, and four for most teams. It's going to be the best rivalries. Two, they're going to make the biggest games possible, at least one of them for everyone, the biggest games possible. And then three, for the top teams, so Ohio State, Michigan, and probably USC, maybe Penn State, um, Actually, Michigan got screwed in mind, but in general, um, you're going to they're going to give the top team an easy game, and they're going to do that for two reasons. One, because people need a reason to watch Rutgers, Maryland, and Northwestern, and those teams like they need to make money and they need to unless the NCAA changes the rules, those teams need to get a certain gate. Also. You want to make it easier for your your best team, so you're gonna give them a cupcake win in that three. Like they're not gonna give Ohio State Penn. And I was listening to the Athletic and their podcast, and they were like, "Give Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan, and USC." They're absolutely not doing that. Absolutely not doing that. So, Zero percent chance. Yeah. So I think they're gonna have Michigan because obviously I think they're gonna have USC because that's just the like. Maybe the Michigan game is the biggest draw, but outside of the Michigan game, Ohio State USC is the biggest game that you can create in the conference. Like there's yeah, not another I, game that can be better. And I just don't see them wanting that game. Literally. It's what it is gonna be. I just don't see them wanting that game every two years instead of every year. And then I picked I picked Illinois. The third one's most likely probably gonna be Rutgers in Maryland, but I picked Illinois. But yeah, I would be I would be shocked if Ohio State is not Michigan and USC. It'll it'll absolutely be one of the West Coast teams for money, but it would I would be shocked if it's not USC. Yeah, I could see I, I agree with you. I think it'll probably be USC, but I could also see them doing UCLA and like kind of tiering it, you know. And I know that kind of changes on like a like, you know, you can never project how good programs are gonna be in five years, right? But I think you're probably going to schedule USC anyways in the first two years, home and home with Ohio State, however you can do it. And then how are you going to welcome UCLA into the conference in the biggest Michigan. financial way possible? Oh, yeah, you know, let the battle of the the brainiacs, per se. Because um, while you, UCLA is not on that level, they – are easily the fourth or fifth biggest brand, right? So, like, uh, a, a, U, a yeah. UCLA-Michigan game is all, is almost as good as a, a USC-Ohio State. It's like Ohio State-Michigan, yeah. Ohio State-USC, maybe Ohio State-Penn State, and then you're going to get into Michigan-USC and Michigan-UCLA. So yeah. they're, not, they're no, also no. not going to give USC, Michigan, and Ohio State. So I think they split the LA teams between Michigan and Ohio state, they could give UCLA to Ohio state and USC to Michigan, but that just doesn't sound as cool to me. That it just doesn't sound right. Honestly, like, like UCLA and Michigan sound right. Ohio state, USC sound right. And Penn state's going to get like, Wisconsin. I don't think I chose that, but like Penn state's going to get like the, the best team that was in the West, which is like Wisconsin or some yeah. shit. Yeah. No, to be Penn honest, get Michigan state, but 
Yeah, Kevin Warren, get, before you go, get us in the room and we'll figure this out for you. Yeah, I mean, I already did it. Just just read my article. I, don't, yeah. I mean, I don't know if you yeah. read it or yeah. like don't how recently article. you read it, but like... Don't read the article. Give us salary jobs for at least a year. <laughs> yes. And we'll do this. And we'll, we'll manage... Like, like a month and a half because they need to have it out like <laughs> next week. Yeah. yeah, so we'll get a rush rate on it two times two and a half, what you normally would pay us, which will be negotiated. Yeah, um, for sure. And we'll do it. And then if that works out well, then we'll take a full-time job there. So um, if you're listening. I think that's so fair. That's, that's that's our pitch. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that's more than fair uh, if you ask me. But, hey, who am I, right? Yeah. But, yeah, Kevin, give us a call. We got this. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, last thing I think uh, I put – Trips to Los Angeles are a reason this move happened. Uh, the Washington edition, which was mostly just a joke, but I think we need to dive in to why. I think a lot of people are asking why still. And I think like, just going through some of the big things, like do you think this comes more from being a symptom of the 12-team playoff, uh, more from the realignment rumors that always float around still? And I guess my last question for – Everybody, if you're listening and answering it, do you think there's more of this to come across the country, like these big cancellations? So for me, I think it's a couple of things. For Ohio State specifically, I think it's partially the realignment because you don't want to make two trips. Uh, you just you don't want to make two trips out west. You're Ohio State. You don't need to do that. The other thing, and I think that this got hidden a little bit, it's going to give Ohio State eight home games. And I think that is where the trend is really going, right? You're going to get four or five home games each year in the conference, and then you want you want most, if not all, of your other games to be at home. And so I think that that's going to lead to – that's part of it. That's another trip that you don't want to do. Um, eight home games in back-to-back years, that's major, especially because this season – and who we'll get into this later once we start to get into the, um, you know, whatever. But this season, Ohio State is 6-6. Six and six. They have six home games, six away games. That's not good for the wallet, and that's not good – just in general, nobody likes doing that. Yeah. Like you give Rutgers six and six. You don't give Ohio State, Michigan, Bama, Georgia those teams six and six. So, I think it had to do with realignment. I think it had to do with genuinely just wanting more home games. And then, I mean, just like not, just honestly, just not wanting to go out yeah, to the I West. Think that point with the needing more home games on the schedule is definitely a big one. Because I, um, I don't think people realize, like, student ticket packages are very hard to sell when there's only six games on them. Yeah, easily. Um, and uh, I had another one that I can't. Oh, you asked if I think this is coming more often. Absolutely. Because I wouldn't be surprised, and not just for Ohio State, for everyone, I wouldn't be surprised if the Ohio State, Georgia, Ohio State, Alabama, and some of these other ones got canceled. First of all, a whole bunch are getting canceled just off realignment alone. Like, all of the SEC. Texas SEC Oklahoma games got canceled because they're going into the conference. Um, and then also think about it the other way, right? Bama is going to go to a nine game schedule and that nine game schedule. Do you think they want to play Ohio state and make that 10 P five teams? Exactly where we started the show, honestly. Like, um, I don't know who all these teams play, but you had to think about Kentucky, South Carolina, um, 
and some of these other teams who pl- who already have a game against someone else. Kentucky plays Louisville. Georgia plays Georgia Tech, which is a cakewalk, but they're still going to say it's 10-P5. Um, South Carolina plays Clemson. These other teams that already have a scheduled game. Do you think South Carolina wants to play Clemson, nine Big Ten games, and then also play Illinois. Let's say Illinois is on their schedule. They don't. So I think a lot of these are going to get canceled um, because of team like realignment, teams going to nine, which again, the Big Ten already did that. We're better than you. Um, and yeah, so I, I think that it's going to be pretty common for a while. I don't I don't know that we're going to see like the, what we want to happen, which is for them to not schedule them so far. I don't think that's going to happen. I just think it's going to be a lot more nine P5 games, and then the rest are going to be just group of five. Like, I know you can't do FCS a whole lot, but I think the rest, like, I wouldn't be surprised if the Big Ten moves to having get like, you know, almost every team have two Mac games every year. I would like that wouldn't surprise me at all. Um, especially yeah, with the sure. added travel and stuff like that. So it'd be nice yeah, for Ohio State to get with the Mac scheduling and helping those other programs bridge the gap financially is gonna be huge as we go towards that next era because like you know, we talk about competitive balance at the top. Like, financially, there's really no competitive balance. Um, so what's that mean for the team as you go down the list, you know, of conferences? Like, the gaps widening. And the only way to do that is giving them more opportunities to get in front of people and to get on TV. And, like, you know, I know, like, it's not in Ohio State's business to help, like, Akron and getting football players. But – it would help Akron a lot, you know, getting a game scheduled with Ohio State, just so people know, like, there's going to be a big game on either on a national network, not in the middle of the week against, uh, like, a program like Ohio State. And yeah, and I, I think that's huge. I, I agree 100%. And honestly, I don't think they're going to do it for the sake of the MAC. I think it's going to be self-serving, but – I do think it's going to help the Mac. Like, I think Ohio State's going to do it because they say we're going to have to try. Like, I think for the first four years, there's going to be at least one trip to L.A. for Ohio State. And then it'll rotate. But I think UCLA and USC is going to be on Ohio State schedule in that first four years, whether they're both in that first two years or they play. However they do it, they're going to be they're going out to L.A., you already have some other travel records isn't super far, Wisconsin, like that kind of stuff. I think Ohio State's just going to be like, we want, like, first of all, you want the games at home, and it's easiest to get home games against local teams. Like, it's not easy for Arkansas State to get to Ohio, and you have to pay them more. You have to play Toledo less because it's a two-hour bus ride. You still give them the money, but you don't have to pay the extra money because they're chartering a flight for 105 people and stuff like that. So I think it'll be yeah. self-serving. But it'll still benefit the other programs. Um, And I think it's going to be harder. Again, a lot of these teams were getting on the SEC schedule because they had four non-conference games. Well, now they're only going to have three. And some of them are only going to have two because, again, they already have rivalries with other with other teams. So that's going to be less games like Kent State. When I was at Kent State, we played Penn State, Ohio State. Alabama, Clemson, uh, Virginia, um, 
I mean, Kansas State does that every year. We played Minnesota. Like, we played a lot of these teams, and, like, you're not – Kansas State's not going to get some of those games anymore because there's just less of them. Like, Alabama has three slots to fill, and one of those is going to go to an FCS team. Is Kansas State going to get that other two slots, or is it going to be a Sunbelt team? Is it going to be a team that's in Alabama or around there? So I think – and this is crazy. I'm like thinking of this now, but I think with G5, P5 games, I think those are going to get very regionalized for everyone. Yeah, for sure. Limit the travel, you know, take those little, take like as many steps away. And, you know, I think my last point before we move on to our next topic is like, it's going to hurt more to lose an extra game now. Like if you're playing nine games, you lose one of those conference games, you're Ohio State, you're Michigan you're probably in the 12-team playoff. But you go in with two, it makes those last couple weeks a lot more stressful, especially with the potential automatic bids to conference champions, you know, those only additional eight slots. And, like, most of the time, the Big Ten has those teams still finishing in the top 12. But, you know, it's the margin for error you create for yourself. And I think that's something that is going to be taken into much further consideration under the next commissioner and all the 80s moving forward. Yeah, it, it's very weird. Like some of this sport is changing in a way that we've never seen before. And then other is other stuff is going to get like very, very old school. Like I think teams yeah. are just genuinely going to try to have as many bus trips as possible for certain things because, you know, like, you know, what I mean, you have to travel like Texas is not super close to, you know, South Carolina. Like, you know, everyone talks about how far the Big Ten has to travel and it may still be the furthest of anyone. But a lot of these conferences have to travel far still. Like I mean, yeah. the, the 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 ACC has been traveling far forever, so it's just like um, these these conferences are no longer regional, and so I think that they're going to try to get some of that back into the game as much as possible. Yeah, one hundred percent doesn't fit into that. Yeah. I agree. I think it's just part of the changing landscape. I think it, like it would be fun. It's a helmet matchup. It still is, but it's helmet matchups are going to be less important because we're going to get a lot more of those at the end of the season anyways. Yeah. Like, again, Washington, be better. Play us in the playoffs. We'd love that. Yeah. Easy win. Uh, host of a playoff <laughs> game. Win the Pac-12. Go for it. No. I mean, might as well. Uh, I mean, the Pac-10. There's nobody there. Why can't you? Why can't it be you? Yeah, It'd probably be the Pac-8 by the time we get to the extended <laughs> playoff. <laughs> uh, uh, but yeah, all right. Let's let's get moving here. Um, I think uh, a topic that was brought up in our Slack channel for Land Grant Holy Land this week was kind of just. The under-the-radar staff moves Ohio State's made this year, uh, whether it's in the player personnel department, whether it's promoting a former player to a role in the athletic department. You know, there's been a lot of staff moves that aren't necessarily position coach moves. Like, obviously, we had Keenan Bailey get promoted to tight end coach. Obviously, we had Brian Hartline get promoted to the offense coordinator position. Um, You know, and then all those other – titles get thrown around the position coaches and coordinators but there were some moves that you know got some players into the program or not the program some coaches into the administrative side of the program that I think are going to be very big deals like behind the scenes you know I think a lot of people forget that like Keenan Bailey was one of these types of guys who started behind the scenes um 
Uh, I think we could start here. Uh, Mark Vottler, uh from Marshall, formerly from Alabama. Mark Pantoni hired him as uh, director of player personnel. And these types of roles are becoming more and more important on a – honestly, it feels like a monthly basis with how the college football world changes – you know, roster management's as important as ever. So getting smart players who understand what this world is like, um, or it's not players. I keep saying players, smart people. I don't know what, like a recruiting coordinator. What's the director of player personnel? What are they classified as a recruiting staffer? Duh. Yeah. Um, <laughs> duh. Getting recruiting staffers, getting coaches like on the, in analyst roles in, um, quality control roles that you can like that is going to be a huge aspect in the game moving forward and i think ohio state's done a great job with that yeah for sure and and literally on trend with this show of things kind of going backwards a lot of people flamed mark pantoni for saying that like they're going to step out of recruitments that are led that are led again keyword led by nil but he's not the only one saying it like like reporters have been saying it which means coaches are saying it to them i believe a couple other people have said it like there's this thought process now that like relationship building is going to be bigger than ever in recruiting because some yeah. of the players that you used to be able to get are like, and, and here's the thing. I'm not saying this is a bad thing. If this is how you want to operate, that's how you should operate. But it's also not a bad thing for players to, for teams to say, we don't want a kid that only cares about the money. They do that in the NFL all the time. If you ask for too much money, Tyreek Hill, you get traded because that's not what's best for the team. That's not what they're trying to do. Tyreek Hill got his money. He also bought out, but he didn't want a Super Bowl. That's not a negative for, I mean, maybe not one of the Super Bowls is a negative for him, but getting paid umpteen millions of dollars and, and being in Miami Beach is not a negative. She's got what they wanted. I think that's going to happen in college football. Some of these guys, like I, like I, I think I mentioned this on the show before. I think these average player numbers are going to go down because I don't think that these rosters are going to be so stacked like they were because some of these guys are going to be operating on money, and uh, some of these programs yeah. don't want that. And and so I think it's even more yeah, important recruiting staffers. I think that's a great point you brought up too. And I, I've been hearing a lot, like, you know, we, we listen to, we follow a lot of people who are very in touch with this business. And I, I think the sentiment from a lot of coaches is I don't want my program to be dictated by a 17 year old player. And if that sentiment fills enough rooms and enough coaching staffs, um, it's going to be pretty hard to be an NIL driven player or recruit because, you know, that, you know, when you, like you used to see those like recruiting red flags come up, that, that's, that's going to be the new one. It's going to be an NIL driven player. And I think NIL is great and players are making their money. But I, I believe Mark Fantoni even said it. It's like it's really not doing its intended purpose if, you know, people are just paying recruits and people who haven't proven it on the field that you can make money off it. It's more intended for players who have proven it and earned it off their name, image, and likeness at the college level. And that's going to be the goal moving forward. And I think, like you said, the numbers, the average for each class are going to start coming down a little bit. And 
you know, the programs who are able to best maximize both will have good recruiting classes, but that doesn't mean you're going to have championship classes. Because we saw Texas A&M, Miami, so on and so forth, how they do last year. Yeah, and I think people also have to realize this. There's a lot of things that just happen normally that people forgot about. There's a lot of things that have happened normally that people forgot about because NIL got mentioned. There have been multiple stories of Georgia, especially Alabama, Ohio State, these teams that do worry about their culture not recruiting certain high-profile four- and five-star players because they didn't fit the roster. Like, players literally talk about it all the time with, like, the way that uh, that Nick Saban talks to recruits and talks about talks to players on the roster about, like, you may be a five-star, but you have to fit in. You're not going to start immediately. You're not the only five-star here. Like, that other kind of stuff. So, I think people like lost that because they're like, oh, you're not getting this player just because of the like, just because of the money. But some of those players who couldn't handle being a third string quarterback because Ohio State has two other five stars are also some of those players who are are recruiting off of NIL, right? Like some yeah, of those 100%. players who couldn't handle waiting a year or two to break into Ohio State's wide receiver room because there's 17 other five stars on the roster are going to be some of those players who are only going for NIL. And here's the thing. If you didn't yeah. have NIL, you would still have play. It's just like we talk about when we joke about the NCAA 14 game. You're going to have players who their most important thing is playing time. You're not getting that at Ohio State. So therefore, five star goes somewhere else. You're going to have a player who's most important thing is proximity to home. Alabama's not going to get them. Like, I think all of these things that are pretty normal get added into an only NIL conversation, and that's just not how it works. So, yeah, Ohio State, Bama, and these other teams are going to use NIL, and then there's going to be some player that they don't get because they only want NIL. But having these recruiting staffers that can identify, that can call and talk to players and build these relationships and maintain the relationships when the coaches aren't allowed to talk to players and these other kind of things is going to be more important than ever. Yeah. And I think when we like bringing this back to Mark Butler, the guy they hired in that director of player personnel role, he's worked at Marshall and it's not like to bring, down Marshall or anything like that. But that's not an easy place to recruit. And then he also worked at Alabama under their Mark Pantone. So he's got knowledge at both places. He's kind of seen how it's worked in two areas. And, you know, with those relationships, Bill, it's not – it's going to be – I think he's gonna, He's a great fit. Uh, they've got quite a few of these young guys looking to build their future in the profession and – one thing is these recruiting rooms are getting significantly bigger. Like uh, what's Mark Pantone's job now? He's chief of staff or something. Uh, yeah. He runs the entire like, recruiting department. He's got like four or five people at that like director level beneath him. And that is the new normal. And those people are going to probably have two or three people beneath them as like them. And then you get to those interns that help out with everything. And you get uh, to the students. Like, yeah. And you're going to have 50 to a hundred people working just on recruiting stuff and working on portal research and working on building these lists out and, doing all that stuff. So once it is handed over to the coaches to recruit, they have nothing to do but to build a relationship. Yeah. 
exactly. Um, and I think like for the like three people on this podcast that that listen to this podcast that rolled their eyes at at Marshall, because I think most of y'all get it. Him going to Marshall is what happens to Ohio State guys all the time when they take a step down. It's because they want more responsibility. Do you want to be the third guy at Alabama or the one or the first guy at Marshall? That's what happens to Ohio State guys all the time. That's how you have the one strength coach who went to Cincinnati so he could be the head guy at Cincinnati. You had the guy that where did he go? Could the guy that we hired from Western Western Kentucky, where did he go? Because he just left. Is that Grant? Yeah, I'll look real quick. Let me pull it up. I think he left, which is why we hired this guy. Um, yeah, uh, Zach Grant, named personal director of player personnel. Zach Grant. I don't know. It just shows Ohio State. Uh, hold on. Uh, he must have went to Cincinnati. Did he? Oh, did Cincinnati uh, get no. a couple of people? No. So May third, oh, twenty twenty two is last year. All right. This is high level podcasting in the moment. Uh. Director of player for Yeah I don't see anything new I'm trying to find his Twitter That would probably be the best place to look Uh, Blessed to be named director of player personnel For the Oh that's an old tweet Alright yeah general manager Cincinnati football Okay, so essentially, he le- he was the number one or the number two under Mark Pantone. Now he's the Mark Pantone at Cincinnati. Like, you go yeah. to quote-unquote lesser jobs for a promotion, and so this guy left Alabama to go to Marshall to be the number one guy, and look what happens. Now he's at Ohio State. It worked. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's funny you said that because... I just re- I followed him on Twitter and I'm like, man, who the heck's is Zach Grant guy who's posting about Cincinnati all the time? Yeah, that's because he's not at Ohio State no more. I'm like, God, what the heck? I didn't follow anybody who coaches at Cincinnati. Oh, did I follow Luke Fickle and then like accidentally hit follow on someone else? But no, yeah, I think this guy that they hired um, one more time, Mark Vottler, is literally following the same path as Zach Grant. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so hold on. We may just have to like change this entire show because I don't know if this is real or not. Did you see this thing on Twitter posted by our number one Michigan fan? Uh, he he loves our podcast a lot. Uh, about Justin? No, Fields. I did not. Supposedly, and I can't listen to it because it we're recording. But supposedly, Justin Fields went on and pardoned my take and said I was going to stay at Georgia, but Ohio State's boosters were offering me bags of cash to transfer. I'm talking three hundred, four hundred grand in cash plus a Benz, and this was before NIL. NIL back then, Ohio State pay more than any SEC school. Ryan Day's a boss. Yeah, it's, it's That's a fake, troll. right? Yeah, it's fake. Okay. But okay. Also, <laughs> well, he has a, he uh, has a video. Of him like talking, I just can't listen to it. Yeah, no, it's fake. I listened to that show today. Uh, okay, all right. I was gonna say we're gonna have to. If that's true, we're gonna have to derail this once, whole podcast. Once I, pulled, <laughs> once I pulled up the clip, I was like, no, I listened to that whole interview today because I'm like, oh, these guys with Justin Fields on, it's gonna be pretty fun. Uh, but no, I never said that. Okay, Whew. man. I mean, it would have been great if he did because, like, that had made me more of a fan of Ryan Day. <laughs> it's like, but yeah, I keep telling you, I, I keep mean, telling you to, <laughs> to to act like you're Ohio State. That would be acting like you're Ohio yeah, State, but it didn't happen. Spin so zone, <laughs> spin zone. Justin Fields was just an NIL pioneer. Hey, love that. <laughs> you're not going. You're not going to be mad at me. Uh, and they and they had to do more work because they had to convince them uh, that he needed to be able to play right away. 
Yeah, and what's the NCAA going to do about it? Nothing. That's a, that's a real question. So, uh, <laughs> NCAA's a joke. That's the joke. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, next on the list. Oh, let's see where we're at on time. Uh, yeah, shout out to Mark Fandoni for building out an incredible recruit staff. Uh, that's what's going to take us into the break. Shout out to Mark Fandoni for building the program. And we'll see you guys right after the reviews. And just don't listen to them. You don't want to. You don't care anymore. Uh, but, uh, we'll see you guys after break. All right, welcome back in, everybody. This is your host, Christopher Rennie, uh, on Book Off Podcast with Land Grant Holy Land. I'm George Williams. But we're talking about the end of the way our staff hires Brian Day, Mark Antonio, the Ohio State. Like, I don't even know the whole football program because it's not just the coaching staff, it's not just that, it's kind of everybody involved. Uh, I'm just kind of you know, making news under the radar that are just solid. Uh, we've got a list of like five guys, but, you know, if, you, if we missed one, by the time this is over, just make sure you tweet at us so we can just keep it in our mental data bank. It'll probably last about three or four days up there and then get replaced with something else. But still appreciate it when that happens. Uh, but, yeah, I think Mark Vodler is a great hire. I think he fits the profile of what Pantone is looking for, a young, youthful guy looking to grow his career. And I think, like, Mark Pantone was even – very proud of Zach Grant for moving on. And I think he's really just in a role where he's, he's done that. He's done the work. So now he's basically a guiding, he's the guidance now for people to go out and do all the legwork. And I think that's a great role to be the mentor, yeah. but you know, well, still also active, Ryan, obviously. Yeah. Also Ryan day and all of these other head coaches, they just cannot oversee the recruiting staff, like they, like they don't have the mental capacity to oversee that. You need someone that can over. That's like a, like we talked about. It's like a ten to twenty people staff at this point at some places, and 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 they're expanding the coaching staff. So Ryan Day is already overseeing, you know, twenty people on the coaching staff. Like he can't then also oversee yeah. the recruiting department and that kind of stuff. And that's where Pantone. Right. That's why they made him a step higher, and they're hiring other people and. We talk about coaching trees. We need to start talking about recruiting Stafford trees because Pantone yeah, has that's, one. That's going to be a big thing in a few years, honestly. It already kind of is. Um, but, yeah, honestly, I was thinking about that before we get to the next guy. It's kind of crazy when you think about it. Ohio State's got 10 assistants, and I'd assume all 10 of those full-time assistants have three or four people underneath them with high-quality control type designations and, like, student assistants, right? Absolutely. Like, Ryan, Ryan Day's running like a 40, 50 person staff. Uh, that's like not including athletic trainers. It's not including like recruiting people. So it really is like a fortune. It is a fortune 500 company, but by like looking at it, like Ryan Day can't spend time with every single one of those people every day. Like it's just unrealistic. And there is honestly, four hours doesn't day. Honestly, he probably doesn't hire all of them. Like certain people, yeah. like 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 um, you know, Ke- Keenan Bailey's probably not getting to hire anyone yet, right? Or, or maybe he is because he's been here for eight years and he's just now getting into. Actually, no, he was probably hiring people too. Um, yeah, these coaches. Yeah, probably he's probably the first step in the process. 
The only thing, the only yeah. thing that like probably that Ryan Day definitely oversees as far as underneath the staff kind of thing is I think he probably oversees GAs because you can only have four. So he has to figure out which coach is going to get a GA. Yeah. And he's definitely, and those are the guys who do most of the like work for the staff. Yeah. And, and, and every coach is going to want a GA. So um, you can only like, have four though. Am I wrong, but don't GAs have like people underneath them sometimes too? It depends. So when I worked for Kent State, I was under the GAs. So I was a student intern, and so I got all of my instructions from the GAs unless the coaches told me what to do. And then one of the GAs became a full-time coach, and then I just worked with him because I was under him when he was a GA. And so then I didn't listen to the GAs as much because I was directly under that position coach. But like when I first started, I got all of my instructions from the GA. So a lot of the students really interns, but that, that's then. also specifically at Kent. So, um, but I imagine the GAs probably have at least a student intern because, like Ryan Day's not talking to the student interns. Let's be honest, he's not. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but also, no Ohio State though. may not have student interns because they can get adult interns. Like what I was doing at Kent, they have like a thirty-five-year-old doing, or like a fired coach doing. Like I was watching film and breaking down film, and like the coaches would draw up plays on the board, and I would have to put it into the program and actually draw up the play so it could be printed on paper and like that kind of stuff. And Ohio State has like thirty-five-year-olds doing that, so they might not have any student assistants that aren't in like the. the video department and the recruiting graphic department because yeah. they just they really don't need them and they have so many analysts and stuff yeah yeah no it is crazy and i think i think that's something that's very like i don't think it's underreported i think most people around the program have that understanding but i think that's something a lot of people you know who don't do this every day kind of forget about like these are humongous staffs all of them like we said like the coaching staff is not just the uh 11 coaches that are under contract like the big ones you know there are tons of coaches underneath them the recruiting staff is not just mark pantoni like can you like isn't that crazy to think about like what even like 30 years ago like you could have more coaches on your staff legally by like the rules but like there were not near as big as this Mm. I mean, some of these some of these places are probably getting close to 100 people staff. Yeah, it's crazy, especially if it you're going to include real. the strength coaches, if you include the doctors and the, and the, yeah, and the athletic like, trainers, and if you include five. like this, like the equipment staff as well, because most sports have their own equipment staff because your locker rooms in different places. These are like 100 people staff. If and, I had to like like outside of like stadium people, right? If I had to put a number on it, I think the Ohio State football program year round employs over two hundred fifty people. It wouldn't surprise me. Also, this is this is a hilarious like antidote. The head equipment person is one of the most one of the one of the most influential and powerful people on any staff. Like yeah. you don't think about it. But they have a lot of responsibility, and they're one of the few people who have to directly talk with the head coach. 
because yeah. when Ryan Day decides he wants a specific uniform combination, who's he talking to? When they are going over budget and what to buy, and are the players getting two pair of shoes or three pair of shoes? And LeBron wants to give them beats, and they want to do this, like all of that fun. Like As you they talk to the Nike reps too. The Nike rep's yes. not calling Ryan Day. He's calling the equipment staffer, and then the equipment staff is talking to Ryan Day and organizing this kind of stuff. Like, and then they also determine what the players get. And some are nicer than others. Like, like yeah. you don't not nah, like you don't play. You don't get another pair of gloves. You don't get this. You don't get that. Like, yeah. So, shout out to the equipment staff. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, when I was in junior college, I made good friends with the equipment staff because oh, yeah. all the, all the smart my, players do. All the smart players. I always do. lost my socks. Uh, we had white game socks that I always lose because they looked like all my other socks. <laughs> but these, they were like football socks, but just plain white, and I just would always lose them, and they'd always just toss me a pair. It was awesome. Uh, it was like the Mean Joe Green thing, but socks. <laughs> uh, all right uh, next on the list cam bab job in the athletic department i could never it's like gene smith's leadership academy or whatever it's some bruce wayne stuff gene smith's doing uh, i don't care about this i want him to be a ga like i mean i'm happy for yeah. him and that he had a job but i want him to be a coach so yeah i think cool. i, I, been better if I do think i think it would be cool if he was a coach this could be more in line with what he personally wants to do, though, so that's kind of where I'm like, yeah, okay, is what he personally wants, wants to be do. We want him involved to with that's more enough. athletes, and yeah, but I think it's cool. I think I think his goal. I think what he should be working towards is becoming like CJ Barnett and like who was the guy a couple years ago. You know, I'm not like the they're like the player liaison or whatever the personnel manager. I don't even know what the term is. What's CJ Barnett's job? I don't know. He like let's be honest. He's going to be Maurice Claret. He's going to get famous and just give speaks, uh, just give talks everywhere. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that touchdown will he like? I don't want to like downplay it because like you know I'm kind of tired. Of, like I don't really like Rudy anymore. Like as I've gotten older, <laughs> uh, but uh, Cam Bab could have a very Rudy Rudiger type post playing career. Yeah, I mean, Maurice Claret, Inky Johnson, like, I, like if he wants to, yeah, he could easily. easily. Yeah, I, and you know, all be, and all uh, be based on the, uh, Yeah, and his faith, you're right, yeah. His faith's important to him, so, like, are you telling me the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, which is at every school, is not going to bring him in? Like, yeah. come on now. Come on now. Making 250 bucks a day doing an hour <laughs> at school lunches. Uh, but yeah, no, CJ Barnett's the uh, director of player development. So um, I think that's a role I can have one day, you know, working around Gene Smith, working around the program still. I think that's a role uh, you could naturally move into or a similar role that is working with players, you know. That, that is a culture building position. One hundred percent, all it is is culture, and I don't think uh, I don't think we need to spend much time on this. But I don't think there's a player that I'd want in line with building my athletic department's culture and building a football team's culture than Cam Bab. Nope. That's it. That's all. See, see, is that? Um. But yeah, that's cool. That's cool. He should be a coach. He should be the head coach. <laughs> Just give him the job. He doesn't need any experience. <laughs> Jeff Saturday didn't need any experience. Yeah. 
we don't need to put you through that on here again. <laughs> thanks for uh, at least you get the job, mind. right? At least, at yeah, least you thanks for caring about my mental health. God, Jim Irsay made one. He could have. He had what six candidates? He could have chosen wrong one time. You know the rest. It's normal NFL hire, right? Like none of them are like. Yeah, they're just like normal people who've been in the NFL for a while, right? But you could have hired Jeff Saturday, and of the yeah. six or seven guys, that would have been the only wrong choice he could have made. Literally, just tanked it. Um. All right, next on the list, I honestly apologize to this guy. Uh, I don't know if it's Garen Duhart, Jaron Duhart, Jaren Duhart. I don't know. It sounds kind of French a little bit when you say it that way. Uh, he joins the defensive staff from MSU. Uh, ah, you know, this one was cool under the radar. Um, it got a lot of people around football circles excited. And, you know, I kind of get it. You know, you got to hype up everybody in these football circles, but it also isn't something that's done for everybody. So I think that tells me all I need to know about this guy. Yeah. I also think the interesting thing that people are starting to do, and and I've really seen it a lot in the Big Ten, and that, but it's mainly because I follow the Big Ten, so I can't say that these other places aren't doing it, is they're essentially taking these specialists and bringing them on staff. So, again, we talked about it two years in a row. They had a pass rushing specialist who trained NFL guys, put them on staff. From my understanding, this guy did something similar in his personal life. And Michigan State is one of the pioneers of this because Michigan State was one of the first ones to get the pass rushing specialist who had trained like like the guy we just got had trained like 60 NFL players. The one Michigan State got had trained like 120. Like, <laughs> but it's just like a yeah. thing of getting these guys who run these camps and who do these techniques and like heavily focus on kind of one thing and then bring them on the staff. And I think that's important because if you think about it, like, a lot of people say this, and I say this all the time, that college is not so much about teaching technique. You're supposed to learn that. Like, they don't teach the fundamentals all the time. They kind of expect you to know that, and then they, they have to teach you how to play in college. Well, these guys are the ones that can get into the nitty-gritty of teaching you the technique. So I don't know how their role works with as far as, like, when you can be around players and when you can't. That's a little iffy with certain things. But, like, when you're a position coach – is, you know, traveling, you can go into the gym with this guy who is now on staff. Your parents don't have to pay for it. You don't have to do like like you had. No, you have that specialist who can teach you and go over the technique day in and day out with you, can work with the freshmen who aren't getting playing time and like that kind of stuff. And so... I think it's a trend that we're starting to see. I don't know if this guy's yeah, good at his job, but like you said, a lot of people in football circles were excited about it, and I think that would at least give you hope that he's good at it, despite the fact that he coached at Michigan State yeah. and they're not good last year. Yeah, and you brought up the other guy we brought in, Alan Clark. He's the one guy I forgot to put on the list. He's brought in as a pass rushing assistant, so he's got one job. Get these guys to get sacks. Uh, and I think, you know, we've had trouble with man coverage. So you bring in a guy who's a specialist in that regard and you bring in a pass for a specialist. Like, I don't know. That's that's like two plus two equals four stuff to me. Like, identify problem, solution. Yeah. Sometimes it's that easy. It might not work, but, you know, sometimes on paper it's that easy. 
Uh, obviously, there's James Laurinaitis. Um, future linebackers, Brian Hartline, I think is the way we're billing this. Uh, any disagreement there? No. I mean, I think the only disagreement would be if, you know, I mean, uh, Jim Knowles doesn't seem to like having an official linebackers coach. Yeah, and we'd have to get rid of Carter Fleming. Oh, we're Literally no problem. Please. <laughs> James Hardinus could coach special teams. He played a lot of special teams in the NFL. Literally. Like, that's enough. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, I'm thinking about it. I, he's 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 great. I'm excited, you know. And I was thinking about this the other day because I was listening to 971 The Fan, and it just popped in my brain that Laura Nitus used to do like a daily radio show. I'm like, you know, to build an audience. I know it's Columbus, and I know there's only one place to really get Columbus sports radio. But man, it, he was pretty good. He wasn't the worst. He was on the Big Ten Network. I mean, he had enough charisma to be on TV and be likable and. I'm just letting everyone know that's not an easy thing to do. There are tons of players who fail. Drew Brees, one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, sucked on TV. So, <laughs> I mean, half the announcers suck on TV. He was not bad. Yeah. So, I think that puts, like, you know, it's like if Brian Hartline quit coaching today, I think you'd do great in a booth. Probably, but, like, don't put that out there. No, I'm not going to. Uh, he's going to be the head coach in like 10 years. So it's going to be beautiful, beautiful transition. Um, but yeah, James Lord is cool. Got him from Notre Dame. That's the best part. And the last one, this is the biggest staff addition to me just because I wanted to add this in here. Well, slightly as a bit, but then I really started thinking about it. Tristan Jevia, Oregon State. You know, the best workaround to get a fifth GA in the program is to bring in a six-year transfer quarterback, which is exactly what Ryan Day did with Tristan Jevia. The Chris Chuganov, the Gunner Hope, that role to help a young quarterback, you know, in the room, in practice, do all that stuff. It, it is a significant role, especially when you can get a guy who is coming into this room voluntarily like, hey, I'm just going to work with these guys. I know they're probably better than me. I know they are. But I want this to be my first stepping stone into coaching. That is incredible. And every article I've read about it has been awesome. I'd like, like that is incredible situational awareness. <laughs> like, like I'm not going to the NFL. So let me go get like, even if he doesn't get a coaching job at Ohio State, which he very easily could. Especially because I think yeah. Ohio State needs one because uh, Coach Dennis is number two is at Akron. Uh, and I think he just got made the offensive coordinator, actually. Um, he did. Which He's outpacing Corey Dennis right now. I'm, I'm just going to say, I'm, I'm just going to say, in my opinion, in my opinion, I'm trying to make myself feel better. When you have a guy that leaves here and in two years becomes the offensive coordinator at his program, that makes you think, hmm, maybe – Keenan Bailey is someone. Maybe Corey Dennis is someone. Maybe some of these guys that they bring up from the ranks are actually like really good at their job. If people can leave and can immediately, you know, get a position like yeah, because that yeah, was an offensive QC kid. Yeah, literally, literally QC. Like he was under Corey Dennis. Like we just talked about, everyone on the staff has someone under them. That was the kid underneath Corey Dennis. That was, that was uh, who's the wide receiver guy? Who's Brian Hartline's? Well, it used to be Keenan Bailey. Oh well, yeah, he was the Keenan I don't Bailey. Know who it is now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right, you're right. It was, he was Keenan Bailey, and now he's the offensive coordinator at 
We'll Akron. know who the Keenan Bailey under uh, Keenan Bailey is in like a couple of years. Yeah, for sure. I think that would be a funny Keenan Bailey exception. <laughs> but no, so I, I mean, I think that is just like amazing situational awareness. And again, even if he doesn't get that GA job or whatever at Ohio State, which I think he probably will, I think that was probably somewhat in the calculus. Even if he doesn't, he can say, I spent a year under a top two, if not the number one quarterbacks coach in the country, uh, hire me. Yeah, having the Ohio yeah, State name is going to get you a job somewhere. It just is. You get a couple of. You just let them cook in a few games. Like just let them have some fun against like our. He's just like yeah. I was in the room. I had I had one of the meetings with. And don't let Kyle McCord be good. Like yeah, I helped with that. I mentored him. Yeah, let him go into an interview with a uh, with a couple clips from him against Youngstown State, just cooking. <laughs> What's it? Uh, What's that? Oh, George W. Bush, watch this drive. <laughs> but yeah, you're hired. I think that's interesting. Just coming, like, listen, I want to be a coach. I want to be at the best place I could be. I like that. You just don't yeah. see that often. You don't. Yeah. And Ryan Day, if you ever need a guy like that, I am I'm local. I'm in Columbus. The arm has got like six or seven more throws left. I don't need you to see the field. I'm, I'm just saying. Listen, the way that you're playing some of the people on your staff, what is the lowest position on your staff that makes like $70,000 a year? Hire me right now. And like, that's going to be like a low, 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 low position. But like, please, I'll accept it easily. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. It's like QC's uh, yeah. making like ninety dollars to $100,000 on Ohio State staff. Like, come on. Yeah, it's pretty crazy if you think about it. Uh TV money. We love it. Uh, and that's before the TV money, so let's just think about where that's going. All right. Um, before we finish this show off, uh, that was our right under-the-radar staff moves. Good moves. I like them. I think I, – I, I don't think enough people give enough credit to the the staffers. Um, so I, I thought I think that was the goal of that segment for us. So hopefully you guys appreciated that kind of sticko deep dive into into the coaching staff and recruiting staff and the athletic department altogether. We hit every yeah. we hit every part. It's off season. What are you listening to the show for? It's not random deep dives. Yeah. Uh, all right. What else we got? What else we got? Oh yeah. The, depth chart projection um yeah i think this is just gonna be straightforward let's go through every position not necessarily rapid fire right but like some of them are going to be quicker than others um and like we don't uh, you talk about wide receiver like we know what that is they're good, <laughs> they're good. wide receiver they're good <laughs> yeah all right you want to start offense or defense um let's start offense because the majority of the positions are figured out Probably. Yeah, all right. Maybe. So, quarterback, very simple, very straightforward. Uh, it's probably – it's Kyle McCord or Devin Brown right now. Clean slate. It's been the most clearly painted thing on the planet is both quarterbacks are coming in with a fresh slate. They're both have a chance okay. to the job. Yeah. That's not a lot. There's but no, the clean there's, slate thing is absolutely a lie. Well, yeah, it's a lie because there's no such thing in college football. It's, it's just no not. <laughs> like one's been there for three years. You've seen more of them. The other's been there a year. Oh, no, this is a certain year, right? So, yeah, and the other's been here one year. So, going into a second. Um, that can't see that. There, that's not a clean slate. 
Uh, but yeah. those two guys, first, second, name your order, doesn't matter, whatever side you're on. Devin Brown guy, Kyle McCord guy, we're all good. It's all cordial. We root for the name on front of the jersey, not the back. Yep. Um, Lincoln Keenholes, uh, fourth, I think, right? I think it's safe to say Tristan Jebbia would be the third quarterback here. So, yeah, so this is what I was telling you before. We're like, not everything's in the right order. That's one that should have been switched. I forgot about this yeah. kid. Uh, and then I put him in at the bottom. But yeah, so I think Lincoln Keenholes is fourth. I don't, he doesn't touch the ball at all. Easy red shirt candidate. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. That's not even a problematic, really. That's just how it works most of the time. You'll probably see time in a game or two early in the year, and then we'll not see him. Think for so. the rest of the I year. think we'll see Tristan. I don't think we see Keenholes at all, especially because he's not early enrolling. Oh, yeah, you're right, because he's doing windmill dunks on the basketball court. <laughs> yeah, which is beautiful. Love it. Absolutely. But, like, yeah, he's not. He's not. And he's probably going to play baseball, too, because he's better at baseball. Uh, if he's better at baseball than he is at basketball, I don't want to see him play baseball. I think basketball's his third sport. <laughs> That's insane. I never met anyone who could do a between-the-legs dunk and call it their third sport. But that's the level of Matthew this guy is. <laughs> well, you're going to meet one. I mean, I don't yeah. know if you're going to meet him, but like, but you're going to be rooting we're gonna for one. are going to meet him as a collective. Yeah. 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 You know. When he plays on Saturdays. Um, all right. But yeah, I don't think there's really much we need to get into here. That's going to be the talk of the entire spring. It's going to be the talk of the entire fall. So honestly, if you guys want to listen to a podcast that isn't just completely tied into the quarterback battle, this one's probably the best one for you because me and Jordan don't fully care about that stuff. No, I'd much rather talk about the offensive line battle because here's the thing. Ryan Day has put three straight quarterbacks into a first-round pick. Whoever's going to win is going to win, and they're going to be a first-round pick. And then the other one's going to be played after that, and then they're going to be a first-round pick. And then some other guy whose name you probably don't know because I don't know if Lincoln comes here for three or four years and doesn't play, is going to play. And he's going to be a first-round pick. So it's just like, I mean, I have a dog in the race. You have a dog in the race. I also just think for the natural progression of the team, it's better if McCord plays, but like, doesn't matter. Yeah, at the end of the day, lie to us, so it's like we're not gonna know. Yeah, we're all gonna have eyes on the spring game, and that still doesn't tell us anything because Justin Fields went like six for fourteen, and Gunnar Hoke outperformed him in a spring game. Yeah, so <laughs> remember but that. Remember that when people were like Gunnar Hoke's gonna start well, over Justin Fields. Know, I don't know if Justin Fields is that good. Like it's a it's a spring game. Shut up. Um, yeah, smoke screens. Thing, Come on. The only thing that we can learn about this quarterback competition in the spring is if they name someone by the time the spring is over. Because if they yeah, name someone by the absolutely. time the spring's over, that means it wasn't close. And 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 here's the thing. This is what I think is gonna happen. There's only two things that can happen. Either. Kyle McCord wins in the spring or it goes to fall camp. I don't think Devin Brown can do enough to win it in the spring. But I think because, again, the no clean slate is a lie. Yeah. Yeah. They, he's already going to like it. Like when they come out and they take the absolute number one snap in spring ball, it's going to be McCord. He is going to have the lead, the older guy. Again, you think about roster management, and I think they – Hope that McCord wins. It may actually be a, a it may actually be a competition, but I think they hope that McCord wins because roster management wise, I think he can secure it. But Devin Brown, for him to win, it would have to go into camp. 
I agree with that 100%. Uh, I think it's definitely... Uh, yeah, I know. I think you nailed it. I don't think Devin Brown could win the job in the spring. But if he does, that says all you really need to know. But yeah, for long sure. Shot, very long shot. For sure. Like you Running said, back we, either way, you learn the starter uh, in the spring. It's, it's the only lesson we can learn. Basically. Running back is easy. I think after last year, it's 1A, 1B. Um, they both were injured. Neither one was really better than the other. Uh, Mayan has very much outperformed his ranking. Um, and, and, and Trey has dealt with some injuries. Um, so I, I'm not ready to say he underperformed his ranking because his freshman year did happen. But like last year, yeah, I can't say that he necessarily, necessarily improved. So it's very much a 1A, 1B. I'd say on the field, Travion, when he's played, he's lived up to the expectations, right? I think, like you said, Mayans overperformed. I think once you get past these two, I don't think it's messy. I really just think you have three really solid backup running backs. Yeah, I mean, if you like, if you're really, really a sicko and you care, there is going to be a battle for the number three running back because typically only three running backs get substantial carries. And by substantial, I mean like over 50 or 60, barring injury. So Evan Pryor is going to come back. Dallin Hayden has already played. Um, There's going to be a slight battle for number three, but like Gar sickos if if you're that like interested in that. And that's also something we just literally won't know until the game starts. Like they're not going to drop a three deep (laughs) and tell us who's the number three running back. Yeah, as a sicker myself, um, I will say it's going to be Evan Pryor. That's my prediction. Because, uh, like, when you look at the skill sets of all the running backs in there, he just has the most different skill set of the group. So, that's fair. Like, you've got Trey and Mayan. They both have – they do it a little differently, but they both have the lead back traits, decent hands. They can run on first, second, third down. You know, they do a lot of things. A Trey's got a little bit more breakaway speed when he's healthy. Mayan's a little bit more harder. He's a little harder to bring down. Uh, but Pryor's – I didn't realize how big Pryor was until I was rewatching the spring game. Like, that dude's a tank, and he can catch the ball like a wide receiver. So everything Xavier Johnson did is basically what they were hoping Evan Pryor could do. Yeah, essentially. I was going to use a different analogy, but, like, let's just keep it at home. Let's just do Xavier Johnson. Left tackle. So here's the thing, and we talked about this before. I think this is really dumb. People are like, Josh Fryer is going to win the right tackle job. And I'm like, hmm, if Josh Fryer is the only tackle on the roster, why would you make him the right tackle and then make someone who's never played tackle in a a Big Ten college football game the left tackle instead of making your best tackle your left tackle? Like, that was just the stupidest thing that I've ever heard before. Like, if you did it under the assumption that they were going to get a left tackle in the transfer portal, then maybe that makes sense, but they didn't. So, Josh Fryer is going to be the starting left tackle. Like, unless he just physically can't do it, and there are genuinely some people who can't switch their brain and their body around because it is entirely different, but he has a whole offseason to figure it out. Unless he just genuinely just cannot play left tackle, it doesn't click to him. He's going to be the starting left tackle. I don't know what I don't know what we're talking about. I think it would be dumb to make your best player, your best tackle, a right tackle, and then let someone who's literally never played before play left tackle. That's just idiotic. So Josh Fryer starting left tackle. I have Luke Montgomery as the number two. So 
That is yeah, partially I mean, I think he's good and partially because he who will not be named left us with no depth. And Grant Toutant and Trey LaRoe is not not cutting. Yeah, I, I'm thinking about it. I, I, it's hard to project the too deep right now, right? Because, you know, outside of the five you've got here, you know, and there's definitely going to be a big battle at right tackle. There's going to be a big battle at center. There's going to be a big battle basically everywhere but the guard spots. And I think, like you said, I'm with you. Josh Fryer is a starting left tackle. Uh, I think it's easy. Let's just go through the – you want to just go through the starting five. Fryer's left tackle. Donovan Jackson's left guard. Victor Cutler's probably the center. Matt Jones is probably the right guard. And Tegra Shabula is the right tackle. Yeah, so here's the thing. I don't believe that Victor Cutler is going to be the starting center, but I already went out on a limb and said Tegra Shabola is going to be the right tackle. And just to be completely honest, I didn't have the stones to say what I really wanted to say and that Carson Hendman is going to win the center job. So, you know, follow along to see if that changes throughout the offseason. But I put Victor Victor Cutler there. But if I'm being honest, like if I was putting money on it, I would put it on Hensman. And I like I just feel like as an underdog, like I have to make these people my guys because everyone like no one talks about that recruiting class. And it's like it was sneakily better than you think. Like Tekka Shabola was like number one oh four. Like he, he was a good prospect. So um I don't know that Hensman's gonna win it. Hensman's absolutely gonna be number two though, like a hundred percent. And he's probably gonna be number two at two positions, but like, yeah, he'll there's, probably there's, be the backup center and the backup guards, right? Um, the, yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, he has a very think, like you know how they have swing tackles, he's got a very good chance to be the swing interior guy, yeah, for sure, especially because like a neck is going to be the swing guard, but he's not going to be the center, so like, yeah, yeah, um, and then. Heck yeah, yeah. So I, that's my yeah. start. Technically, right tackle. It's between Tegra and Zen Makowski. Zen, yeah, I have no issue with I Zen. Think, I really don't. But I, I just think Tegra is going to be the guy. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I think past that, it's really anybody's guess on where everybody lines up and where anybody goes. But I we, actually kind of disagree like, with that. But like, I, I, the first eight, it's of, like. Like, that's easy. And then the rest, it's like, I don't know if it's because it's unimportant, but it's mostly like you just need to learn how to play every position if you're behind. It's literally unimportant because they all suck. It's the the first eight and a half. It's Fryer, Jackson, Cutler, Jones, Shibola. That's five. And then it's guys who are too young, too. It's six. Hensman is seven. And Neck is eight. And Luke Montgomery is half, or Luke is eight and a neck is half because he's been here forever and hasn't figured it out. Literally, everyone after that, they either shouldn't be here or they're too young. Yeah. And it could be both. Uh, but yeah, I'm, yeah, looking at there's a lot of young guys on that list. Uh, I just remember watching Jack Slayer cook George Fitzpatrick in the spring game, and you can't see some stuff. <laughs> man. Oh, man. So, Tyler, it might have been Grant Tom, one of the two. We don't even need to, like, we don't need to do, like, I would, no, that was going to be really mean. I'm not going to say that. I'm just going to move on. Uh, tight end. <laughs> Kate Stover is number one. Um, 
I tried to yeah, put this in order, right. but this is such a toss-up. I, I just feel like it's time for Joe Royer. They keep putting him in all the pictures. Dude looks like a stud. Um, I think he's got great I think hair. Finally, like, who was the number Love two tight end last year? Here. It was uh, well, so Stover and Rossi. Those are the two guys who played the so most, and then Scott was really ready. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I then Royer was ready. coming on, and then he got hurt, and then yep. uh, had the unfortunate passing of his mother. So he had some time off in the season to, you know, handle that situation. But you know, I think they threw him into uh, the game against Georgia. He didn't seem out of place. And I think that's really like you don't really want anyone's first game to be that. Um, but, but I think doing that shows that you have a lot of faith in them. Yeah, yeah, faith. And I, I think Bennett Christian's a guy who's going to be interesting because Stover's going to be gone next year. This is a huge opportunity for him. Same with Sam Hart. Those two guys need to do a lot this offseason to prove that they're in the future plans because. You know, we talked about Lincoln Keenholz doing between the leg dunks. Jelani Thurman is that type of athlete. And yeah, every, I've been wanting an athlete like that tied in forever. And if I was a coach at Ohio State, and I'm not saying I am, uh, it would be pretty hard for me to not find ways to get that involved in the game immediately. Yeah, for sure. And I, I may have Sam Hart a little too low. I just don't know anything about him. But he, yeah. like, I also don't know if this three years is because he's a young guy who's played or if he's an old guy who hasn't played. Um, the, the years are really messy. The years are actually, what is the color? The years the are messy right now. Me. The color's going to tell me. He's a redshirt sophomore. Yeah, so he still has so, time. Yeah. And wait, if yeah. he's a redshirt sophomore, he might still have an extra year on top of that. It's three years front. Yeah, he might have been a true freshman in the, the COVID year, so. Yeah. Is Joe Royer older than Sam Hart? I mean, according to the roster, he is. Okay. Either way, yeah. I don't know much about him. I just kind of guess. If I was if I was Sam Hart and Bennett Christian, this would be my goal in 2023, to prove that I'm better than G. Scott. <laughs> like, like, that's it. Like, yeah. This is not shade to G. Scott, but, like, you just got to prove that you're better than G. Scott. If you can get the number three role over G. Scott, I think you're in a good place for the position. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm trying to think. Um, I, I mean, I this is like not an – I think it's pretty easy to list this. Um, you've got three guys who have played real snaps, and you've got three guys who haven't. So I think that's a very safe way to look at it. Yeah. But, like, again, Bennett Christian and Sam Hart, like, the goal is to be above G. Scott. Because, again, G. Scott has yeah. played real snaps, but he hasn't been spectacular in them. Not that he's been bad, but he hasn't been spectacular. So if you can get that spot from him, you're in a good position going into um, that next year for you. So, wide receiver, yeah. Marvin Harrison Jr., Emeka Ibuka, Julian Fleming. That's that. The backup wide receivers – Absolutely impossible to do because none of them have played. Yeah, I get that. Like, I put them in the right position for where I think they're going to be, but the rotation of them, absolutely no idea. Like, I, I couldn't pretend to tell you. And maybe this is, and, and because you don't want people to transfer, this can't be a year where you only play Marvin Harrison Jr., Emeka, and Xavier Johnson. You're going to have to play Kojo. You're going to have to play Jaden Ballard. You're going to have to play Caden, Caleb Brown. Like, you know, maybe some of the other guys you can get away with not playing. 
but these guys whose clocks are starting to tick, you kind of have to play them a little bit. But it's like, are they going to? I have no idea. Like, are they ready? They should be, but who knows? And Brian Hartline does not like to rotate. Despite all the talent that he has, he does not rotate. He gets his tour, he gets his guys, and that's it. And you essentially play every single snap, and it is what it is. So I'm not going to get into a projected depth chart because I could not tell you. The only thing that I'm going to say is I need to see Jaden Ballard because he has a different type of speed, and I think that's going to unlock the skill set. And like him, like I can't. Who who was it against? Was it Toledo where he took that ball to the house? Um, uh, that sounds right. The year. I there's there's sure not a that player. Right. Don't get me wrong. Marvin Harrison Jr. is freakier than anybody on the roster. Mecca Ibuka is an incredible athlete and insanely consistent. Fleming has juice, but and he has a bit more physicality than Ballard. But Ballard just has something you cannot teach. And yeah. that is that breakaway speed. Um, the, if you're going to get a fourth guy involved, well, you, I think the five guys who are probably going to get most involved are Xavier Johnson, Jaden Ballard, Fleming, Harrison Jr., and Mecca Buka. See, if that's what I was thinking, but isn't uh, Keon the one that gets Chris Olave comparisons? Like, yeah. There's a chance, there's a chance that he, he, you know, takes Xavier snaps. Not in the same way because Xavier is still going to do some of the specialized stuff, but like the like the the actual like real wide receiver snaps. There's a chance that like I'll be I'll be I'm on the lookout for Keon Grace. I'll just say that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean they're good. Caleb Burton's good. They both need to build some strength, get a little healthy. I think uh, Tate and Ennis are coming in much more physically prepared than any of the class before them. Uh, so I think that makes it interesting as well. Yeah, like wide receiver is absolutely a toss up. Also, we're over the roster limit, so. Why do you see, especially if they're trying to bring in some transfers, say on the offensive line and things like that? So be on the lookout for some wide receiver transfers. Kojo Antwi. Yeah. Potentially. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. All right. Yeah. You ready for defense? Yeah, let's get it started. You want to start on with the big guys, or you want to get start with the, the defensive backs? Uh, let's start with the defensive backs, only because I'm reading. I'm not sure if you're on the sheet, but like I'm reading left to right, and it's just easy. Gotcha. Yeah, I'm looking uh, at it. So this pains me. This pains me dearly to say this. The adjuster, Lathan Ransom. And you all know I like Lathan Ransom, but he's not my guy. My guy is Kai Stokes. And I came in this, and I wanted to say that Kai Stokes is going to start. But Lathan Ransom just has so much experience that I just – I feel like maybe Kai – like if Lathan struggles, Kai could get it at the end of the year, kind of like what happened with Lathan and Josh Proctor where Josh started because he was the older guy, and then he struggled, and then Lathan got the position and just ran away with it. But, yeah. like, I, like, like I mean, they really like Lathan Ransom. They really do. I yeah. can easily see the transition that we just had with Ronnie Hickman, where it's like, yeah, you were good at the bandit, but you're probably going to be better at the adjuster, and that's going to get you out of even more one-on-one situations, which is really your weak spot. To go, um, yeah, and I'll be honest. The only thing that this is making me, like, kind of sick, actually thinking about it because Kai Stokes is a freak athlete right and I can't do another one and done uh, what's his face Lily Cooker type deal I can't do it I can't I can't do it this pains me like Lathan 
You're my guy. But I'm physically I ill right now thinking about that. I want Kai back And there. that's like maybe an unfair projection for Kai Stokes, you know, because anytime you invoke the name of Molly Cooker, it's like like freak athlete, like insane. One-handed picks, like sideline to sideline. Like, like I don't know if Kai's that guy, but he's at least the five-line guy. He's, I mean, yeah, I think we've convinced ourselves. Like, here's the thing. I know you can only take so much from the spring game, but Ohio there State's wasn't athletes a lot of players are like better. Him. Yeah, Ohio State's athletes are better than most athletes on the field. So for him to make that impact in a spring game in his first season against these athletes, maybe not the one-handed pick, but he's definitely the sideline, the sideline in every play type of guy. Yeah. Like, that's just Yeah, that. and then last on the list, Willie Carver. I think that's a good position fit there. Yeah, so I'm I'm glad you said that because the young guys, I had no idea where they were gonna play at. Like I like yeah, position, I, I knew Malik Harper was gonna be an adjuster, but the other two I couldn't like I, I just kinda put them somewhere. I wasn't exactly sure their position versatility. Yeah. Uh, no, I think you got it right actually with Hawkins and Jaden Bonsu. Perfect. Uh, Hawkins Nicole, might also be more adjuster, but like if you had to put all three of them in a spot right now, I think. And that's what I was thinking. I don't think they. I don't think they recruit for the nickel, which is a problem. Which is why they keep going for transfers. But like, we'll see. maybe you oh, can play there. If I didn't want to kind of do like a three deep thing, I probably would have had him a fourth adjuster and only two nickels. But I think that you know he's not going to play that much, and you can teach him that position, and you really need the depth yeah. at that position. So. Yeah, Nickel, for sure. I had Jahad Carter, Cam, then Cam Martinez, and Cedric Hawkins. I'm going to say it again. I think Cam Martinez should start in this position. I think that they keep overlooking him, and that bothers me. If he can stay healthy, I think this should be his position. But because we don't know if he can stay healthy, and they did bring in the transfer, and he was all ACC or whatever, I did put him in there. I do think he's going to be better than Tanner McAllister, although Tanner McAllister made some really great plays. He just wasn't always super consistent. I was very surprised that Cam Martinez did not take over for Tanner McAllister but injuries and, and some things like that. So whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And I think Jim Knowles mentioned in the offseason, a big thing he needs to continue to get better at is confidence, which will come. Yeah. I think, you know, just another year playing defense. And being in uh, the right position because you ruin your confidence when you put him in the wrong position. Thanks, coaches. Jesus Christ. Yeah. I'm never going to forgive them for that, by the way. Like, I took that as a personal slight. Um, anyway. Bandit, Sonny Styles, our boy, everybody's boy, America's boy. All right, Columbus's kid. Like, like, like. Come on. Sorry, Josh Proctor. It's not it. It's not. It's not you. Sorry. We know you came back, but you came back to be the Tristan Geba, a bandit. And I don't mean that disrespectfully. It's just Sonny yeah. Styles' show. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. I like these are all positions where there's probably going to be five or six people playing. You know, not yeah. like at each one, but like there's going to be plenty of rotation. Um, Absolutely. I think you. I think your bandit list is right where I have it too. I think Styles is just you can't teach what he has, and there's you can't keep it off the field. And with Styles, you also give yourself the ability to play more as like a three linebacker look as well. Yep. So. I think that's versatility. I think, you know, you put Court Williams, Jaden Bonsu, I think they're both very much in line with that banded position. Uh, I know we both think Court Williams should try his hand inside the box a little bit more, but 
Uh, we'll see. And I think there is that third linebacker spot that might need it, but that's probably going to be Sonny Styles' position as well. Yeah, and I'm not going to get stuck on this. This is a very, very minor thing, and it's, like, really stupid, but it's not. I prefer, personally, I prefer a 4-3 that can transition into a 4-2-5 versus a 4-2-5 that you turn into a 4-3. Does that make sense? It does, if you really, really think about it. And I think the Sunny Styles gives you the 4-3 that transitions to a 4-2-5 more than the 4-2-5 that turns into the 4-3, especially because they don't like doing the 4-3 with the actual traditional linebacker. And so essentially what I'm going to say, just to make it slightly less confusing, I believe that that person, their number one role should be linebacker who turns into a safety versus safety who turns into a linebacker. Is essentially what yeah, I'm trying to say, uh, because I just think line, you learn different things at linebacker. So that like it's very minimal. I'm probably one of few people that actually care about it. I think that, and I, I think again, you win and lose on the margins. I think that's one of those margin things, especially the way Ohio State's roster is built. That it should be more of a focus of linebackers turned safeties and safeties turned linebackers. It also helps with the size thing because you don't have six foot one, two hundred pound quote unquote linebackers, but. I said I'm not going to get stuck on it. Left end, Jack Sawyer. Um, I think that um, I don't know how the end thing is going to work. I mean, essentially, there's going to be a left and right end when there's not a Jack on the field. I think that um, Larry. I think Larry Johnson is going to win the battle of Jack not being a Jack. I also think he should win that battle. Um, this this area, the defensive line, is where this roster is going to be the most messed up because it's very easy going to be messed up if Larry Johnson just doesn't yeah. win the battle. And it's just going to change everything. Yeah, right. 100%. So this part is more of like well, an idealistic thing where everything else is trying to be a little bit more accurate. And that's the hard part with this. When you do the left and right, and it honestly changes kind of the depth of how it looks because I think if you did a Jack position with Jack Sawyer playing the Jack, right, you'd have Jack Sawyer one, Mitchell Melton two. Then you'd probably be thinking like Josh Mickens, maybe some of these younger guys who are a little bit more on the athletic side of it. You know, I, and that's something that's interesting. Uh, but I think I think you're right. I think Larry Johnson is going to very much want to have a true base four two, and then if Mitchell Melton gets healthy, uh, that will be the case of the Jack. And I think you'll use him more in pass rush situations. And you know, maybe honestly, I don't know. I don't know how it'll work if you know. But I mean, they're paid a lot more than us, so. Yeah, and my very quick rundown that I can explain a little bit later when we're not so deep into a show, I think that the Jack should always be a linebacker for two reasons. One, they're typically faster, they're more versatile. Um, they can this is gonna sound really bad, but like typically mentally they can carry a little bit more because defensive line is very much see ball, get ball. This is not to say that all defensive linemen are stupid, please do not say that's what I'm saying. But whatever. Also, it is Jim Knowles' baby. It is his position. Therefore, he should coach it, which means they should be a linebacker. It just it just is what it is. Yeah. Also, 100%. they need to recruit specifically to that position and not recruit people and then put them in there. They need to say, you are 6'3", 215. You are going to be the Jack. And then our defensive ends are going to be 6'4", 260. Like, like that. Like They need to look at people and tell them in recruiting, you are playing Jack. That yeah, absolutely. 
then I saw this on Future. I understand you couldn't do that when you're the new guy in the room and you have to build with what's on the roster. But moving forward, they need to do that. I have Kenyatta Jackson as the number two, largely because I just felt like it. There's no difference between Kenyatta Jackson and Omari Abor because neither one of them has played. But one of them is going to be the number two defensive end. Uh, Michael and Tyler Williams are the starting three and one tech. I have absolutely no freaking idea what the depth behind that's going to look like. I don't even pretend to know. All I know is that they're going to move Mike Williams from one technique to three technique because there's no longer a jam at three technique, which is why they originally moved to one technique. So the defensive line is going to be all third-year players. It's going to be that recruiting class that me and you love so much that people like to ignore where three of them, two of them were top 10 guys, three of them were top like 60 guys because I think – I can't remember if my call was 48 or 58, but three of them were top 60 guys at minimum. And then Tyleek Williams just came on and just was a stud. I don't even know his recruiting ranking. Yeah, he was After not high, four, I don't think. I couldn't pretend yeah, I to tell you. Yeah, because you got the four, J.D. McKenzie, Ty Hamilton, Tyleek Williams, Mike Hall, right? I think it's going to be Hero Canoe because uh, there's just not people built like him. Yeah, and that's probably your five for the year, honestly. So what, Mike, Jim McKenzie, Ty Hamilton, Tyleek, and Hero? Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, yeah. and then the freshmen don't play. I mean, it kind of has to be your five. I think that this is a position you need to get a, a transfer. Another body, I think, yeah. You just need another body. You need a, a full three deep. You kind of want a guy – you probably want a guy who gets split to two positions with some experience, right? Yeah, and he, and like a Devon he, Hamilton body type. Yeah, and and honestly, like Jaden McKenzie's the oldest guy in the room, and he hasn't played. Like, and and Mike Hall has played, but he dealt with injuries. Like your two your two people who played the most are Mike Hall and Tyler Williams, and they both dealt with injury, and they both dealt with some like 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 practice issues, and like you're not practicing hard, so we're not going to play you all the time type thing, which is coach speak, but it happens. They need like a true leader who has played and even if he doesn't play like even if it's a Trish and Geba right even if that's what it is they still like that's going to just be a thing all offseason but like they yeah. need like, a guy who has preferably it's not preferably it's you know um, it's Jonah Washington what is his name Jonah Jackson Jonah Jackson. Wait, I, don't wait, know, I, yeah. I used him as an example like every third show Antoine Jackson was right. actually it Antoine Jackson was actually a transfer who was, yeah, who played quite a bit. So, but I'm still going to use Jonah Jackson because Jonah Jackson got Big Ten honors. We need yeah. Jonah Jackson on the defensive line, but even if it's Antoine Jackson, we'll take it. Uh, I think they definitely need a transfer yeah. here. Right in is JT and our guy, Caden Curry. Number Kaden Curry. And I know he's Every number Every time two. he gets a stack. I'm going to order curry, and that's just the, Listen, the rules. I, I agree with that. Like, lock me in. But also, I know he's number two because it was literally said by Larry Johnson, which is my favorite thing. Larry Johnson said, Caden Curry is going to be our number two defensive end, and that is mwah, mwah, beautiful. I he's love every dog. bit of it. Like, I, like, he was – like, you know when coaches always say this, when you're a young guy who's not playing much, when you get reps in games, you got to own the reps. That's special teams, that's on the field in garbage time and every time he was on the field the dude was a menace and for a young defensive end 
Like, if he's running he's downfield on kickoffs and making tackles and like on punt coverage, like that's and the type he of better than the won. older guys. Like that, like he was the yeah. third wave of defensive lineman, but he looked better than everyone in the second wave. Like that wave of yeah. older guys that just kind of came in, which none of them are on the roster anymore. He had so much more juice than them, and I just wish that they wouldn't have done the senior the sen- seniority second wave and just would have put him out there. Yeah, um, I would agree with that. And you know, I think consistency. You know, I think young guys really struggle in the run game. They could really go back to their instincts when it comes to pass rushing and all that stuff. And against bad teams, that's stuff. But I agree. I think you gotta you gotta grow these guys a little bit quicker. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so this one, the next, this is where my entire thing gets messed up. If they don't do what they should do, which I'm just gonna be completely honest, is gonna have me very disappointed. And um, is going to have me very disappointed for the first time in Jim Knowles because I think that this is clear and obvious and he just needs to stop being childish if he doesn't do it. CJ Hicks is the starting jack. You get CJ Hicks and Sonny Styles in the field at the same time. That is a like that is a stupid talented group of guys that you can just do anything with. Drop in coverage, pass rush. Could you like I know this doesn't happen often, yeah. but could you imagine Stunts and twist with CJ Hicks and Sonny Styles. You don't know who's blitzing. Like, like, uh, what do they call yeah, it? Um, that's horrifying. What do they call it? Uh, something dogging. Sand. What is it when when everyone stands up at the line of scrimmage? I should know this as a, as a guy, but. Um, Bird dogging. I think is what it's called. Either way, it's, it's when everyone stands up at the line of scrimmage and you don't know who's coming. Yeah, could you imagine them doing twists and stunts in games with CJ Hicks and 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 Sonny Styles on the same yeah, side? Or Mike Hall pressing the pocket? Like, oh my God. Like, yeah. So CJ Hicks starting Jack, Mitchell Melton as the number two Jack when he gets healthy. This is where this whole thing goes to shit if they don't do this and they decide to make this a defensive end position again. So let's hope they don't. Um Corner one is Denzel Burke. Corner two is Davison Igbenosin. You could switch those if you yeah, want to, but it doesn't matter. They're going to be these two starting corners. Yeah. Um, if you go to the first three, it's Denzel, it's Davison, it's Jordan Hancock. Those are the three guys. Yeah. And then Jair um, Brown got on a year early. Uh, Ryan Turner probably shouldn't have played snaps last year, but we saw how the room fell apart. Yeah. And then I don't think the freshman play it unless, oh, God. We're not even going to talk about that. We're not going to talk about no, freshmen. We're not. We're not. We're we're not going to get go go down this hill. Um, They're good, but we're not going to talk about them. Nope. We we just don't even want to set ourselves up for that kind of fit. So it's for that That's kind of failure. Oh my status. god, we've been doing this for so long that I'm I can't speak anymore. Um, okay, middle linebacker Tommy Eichenberg, Steel Chambers. Listen, the depth at linebacker. Now that I typed it out, I'm concerned because who's the backup middle linebacker? No, I, wrote, I put I wrote that in my, in my recruiting article. That was one where I'm like, actually, like we only have like six dudes. Like this is bad, and it's and it wouldn't be so bad if they you were did like forget to put Hicks in there, but yeah, but like he's the jack. Only seven players. Yeah, like like okay, so yes, if they go back to the defensive end being jacked, then Hicks moves over to linebacker. But like, first of all, most of the linebackers in the rosters are Wills. Like, I put Reed Carico at middle linebacker because we didn't have a backup middle necessity. linebacker. But Cody yeah, Simon, Gabe Powers is a true Sam, and we don't have a Sam. 
Yeah, I mean, I think so. Abe Powers can like. I don't know. He'd probably be a Mike, right? Because that usually is the one to the field side. Actually, no. I I messed this up. I messed this up. I think Gabe I'm just would play. I think Gabe would play middle linebacker. I think I put that wrong. Um, uh, Simon's like Simon's obviously like he's technically like the, the middle linebacker. linebacker but he's not really like, good at it. Yeah, he's the first sub for either of them. Uh, Like, Arvell Reese is a freak athlete, definitely not ready to play. But, yeah, like, I think you're really putting a lot of your, like, there's no insurance policy. That's the best way to put it. Yeah, like, and now I'm thinking about it. What would have happened if Tommy and Steele didn't come back? It would have been well, transfer city number one, and then number two, uh, it would have been the CJ Hicks show, and then whoever else wanted to play with him. Basically, maybe Corey yeah. Williams moves to linebacker. Maybe that's it. Maybe there's not enough depth, so he ends up there. Yeah, and Reed Perico was an athlete. So Gabe Powers played outside linebacker, but he's six four two thirty, so he's just gonna have to be the backup middle linebacker. Like yeah, he's, he's going to be, our, he's be our Jack Campbell one day. Yeah, I, I, I mean, it, and, and yeah, and and Reed Carico six two two thirty. I don't want six two as my middle linebacker. So even if Tommy six two, like we don't speak bad on Tommy, but I also don't think he's six two. So Gabe Powers yeah. I have as the backup middle linebacker, <laughs> and then Reed Carico is going to be the Sam that we just like never see. Um, Steel Chambers is going to be the will. Oh, no, Tommy is 6'2", but Tommy's Tommy, okay? Tommy's a guy. Yeah. Tommy has the keys to the city. Um, He's a daddy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then, honestly, like you said, Cody Simon is really the backup for both of them. Arvell Reese is the, is, is the Sam. Uh, sorry, is the will. But here's the other thing. Tommy and Steele are leaving this year. Cody probably leaves, especially if he doesn't play that much. So you need all these guys to play. And essentially what we're leaning to is we're leading to a Gabe Powers, Arvell Reese um, starting line lineup next year with Sonny again at safety and CJ at Jack. If CJ doesn't play Jack, then he plays Will. But I want you to hear me for a second. If we have, if we can get all four of those guys in the field at once, if we can get Sonny, we can get yeah, CJ, that's a four, we can four. get Arvell Reese, and we can get Gabe Powers all in the field at once, that is the preferred. So I think you need to put these people in this position at once. And this is why they need to put me on the staff. I can manage a roster because I'm going to tell them who needs to play what and when. Yeah, and then no one will leave. But yeah, I think, I mean, I feel like if you just look at the linebacker depth chart, it is what it is. Just look at the roster and you can point it out. Uh, Yeah, I think I wrote in my recruiting piece that like missing on all three big targets last year wasn't a big deal because Tommy and Steele came back. But uh, this year there is like absolutely no bones about it. You need to get like three or four guys in the room. Yeah, and the thing is like it's not (laughs) – Without injury, it's not that big of a deal because he really plays two and a half of them, and you have yeah. enough. The, the where the problem comes in is you don't have death if you missed. If Gabe Powers is not yeah. it, or if Arvell Reese is not ready next year, you're fucked. 
Like, that's the problem. This year is not the problem. It's a next year problem. And that leads to a longer conversation that we're going to have to talk about Ryan Day at some point. And that's a conversation that I know that some people don't like him, but that um, B1G Ryan talks about and Patrick Mayhorn, who told a lot, but he does say some some things that are very, very true at times. Ohio State's roster management's not great. Like, I disagreed with him about the pure numbers on the roster that they talked about, but, like, it's not great because you, you're too thin at certain positions. Like, I'm sorry. I love wide receiver, but, like, you don't need 15 wide receivers. Oh, we're at 13. You don't need 13 wide receivers when you only play three of them yeah. and you have six linebackers and – one, two, and four well, of them I, are in their second year of the program or first year of the program. CJ taking up the most numbers should be the defensive line and the offensive line. And then outside of that, you should have a very comfortable three deep at every position. Yeah, and like we I, we just don't have that, and so like I, I think in most places the offense is going to lean a little bit heavier than um, than the defense because yeah, like um, five offensive linemen to four defensive linemen. Plus you have tight ends, which doesn't have a related position. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's tough. It's not easy, and I think that's something like if the offensive linemen were good, then. That'd be a different story. You could have as many as you want, but that's the problem. Yeah. Yep. But it, this, uh, that's a conversation yeah. we can have at another date when we're not two hours into a podcast. But the, the roster management is not great. And there are certain positions where you just have to hit. And I believe in Gabe Powers. I think he's good. But if he's not good next, if he's not good, yeah, if he's not ready, you don't have a middle linebacker next year. Like you just don't. And that's a problem. Yeah, then you're playing Hicks, who's much more will and kind of a down line type at an out of position. Then we're back to the same issues we've always had. So something to pay attention to. Uh, and we don't, we, we don't need to talk about specialists. Yeah, I'm gonna believe in James Lloyd's competition. Yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna believe in James Lord and his ability to get these guys ready. And at, like, I guess he played outside linebacker in high school because he was probably the best athlete on the field. But at six four two thirty, I'm just gonna imagine it's going to be Gabe or Reed. But I'm gonna imagine like James that. Lord yeah. yeah, I'm gonna imagine that Gabe slides into that back as middle linebacker. So that that is our roster projections. Um, I don't yeah. know how often we're going to update this, but I think because, again, we're doing this for – Except for the Jack. Right? Yeah, probably. Except for the Jack position, we I really did this on what I think is going to happen and not what I want to happen. So I think that this is going to be pretty accurate. Yeah, I agree. I think we talked through it and it all made sense at the end. So I don't have anything else for you guys. We've kept you here long enough. If you listen to this show, you are very much part of our club. Yeah, I have one thing, and this is in honor of my co-host, uh, Notre Dame some broke boys. They wouldn't pay the buyout for Utah's offensive oh, yeah. coordinator. <laughs> uh, and now they have Marcus Freeman just floating in the wind. So love that. Yeah, Marcus uh, Freeman has to do offense <laughs> and defense. <laughs> just beautiful. Like, where are the Notre Dame fans at now? Uh, anyway. Yeah, what's uh, Sam Hartman going to do now without an offensive coordinator? <laughs> Couldn't play three. Couldn't pay three million dollars, despite the fact that they have their own TV contract as a singular school. Uh, August endowment 
of like any university outside the Ivy League and they couldn't do it. Yeah. Broke boys. Anyway, you can follow me on social media at Jordan W330. And as always between having money and having money. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's not one of the big boys, even though they claim to be. Yeah. You gotta move the what's the old Kevin Hart bit? Gotta move the money from my check to my savings. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's like so I'll did you did you wipe the card on your jeans? Did you you, sometimes you gotta you gotta wipe it on your jeans. See, all my money's in my checking, all my money's in my savings, I gotta check from the savings and it takes business days. Yeah, yeah. Broke boys. (laughs) Yeah, that's it. Bug off. Have bug off pod. We'll see you guys next week.